0: Everybody else, if you'd please turn to Daniel chapter 3 in your Bible. Daniel chapter 3. There was a college in the 1950s that performed an experiment that's been repeated several times at other colleges after that. The experiment was this. They brought in 10 students to observe, and what they would do is they wrote, they, they wrote three lines on a board that were of different lengths. And they had the students, when the person up front pointed to the longest line, those ones that were in this study needed to raise their hand and vote for which one was the longest. And they weren't even close. It it was obvious which one was the longest line. Oftentimes with these kind of uh, studies, there's a little bit of a twist. And there was a twist with this one. Nine out of ten of the people that were brought in were actually given some instruction that instead of voting for the longest line, they were supposed to raise their hand and vote when the instructor pointed to the second longest line. There was one person in the room who would be surrounded by a whole bunch of people who were obviously wrong. They did this uh, study several times, and they were able to get some interesting information that actually might surprise you. When they brought in these ten individuals, and nine of them raised their hand at the second longest line, there was one person out of four in the end results. Only one out of four would actually look at the longest line and raise his hand when the instructor pointed at the longest line. Seventy-five percent, when the person voted uh, pointed at the second longest line, 75% of them looked around, saw nine out of ten raising their hand, and then sheepishly put their hand up in the air to say, I believe that one is the longest. When obviously it was not. Peer pressure is something that has invaded most of our lives. And peer pressure is not only a negative thing. There can very much be a positive peer pressure. That I encourage people to take advantage of when they can. What we'll see in God's word today is what happens when external pressures meet internal character. Specifically, we're going to look at three Hebrew children that were taken into slavery, uh, three young men that did what was right, even when they looked all around them and everyone around them was doing something different, or maybe doing something that was easy, is the best way of saying it. All that to take us to Daniel chapter 3. I think that when we look at the stories of the of, of the prophets, probably this one here, along with Daniel in the lion's den, which we'll get to in a few weeks, probably those two are two of the best-known stories of all the prophets. Now, we just finished Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel was able to give the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and you might be wondering how much time has passed. We're given a timeline uh, right here in the text and so just for our purposes today, about 20 years has gone by between that interpretation where Daniel was, uh, gave, the, gave the interpretation and the dream and was promoted, and about 20 years has gone by now. And uh, when we look at this, we're going to just walk through the story. Um, it's such a familiar story, and there are so many lessons for us today to apply The first thing that I see here um, in Daniel chapter 3 is this golden image, the golden image that we find. Now, we need to remember we have a king who had total authority on the earth at this point. You remember that? Babylon was a world empire. There was no place that that was not taken over by them. So Nebuchadnezzar is really the ruler of the world. And he's going to do something that's going to require the residents of that city and maybe even beyond to get together and worship. And so we're going to start reading in verse number one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples had heard the sound of the music that was played, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, let's stop right there. So we have this 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide statue. This is uh, not solid gold. It would be very common for someone to uh, make what they were going to build out of wood and then, over, and then uncover it with gold. Some of you are familiar with a large statue of Christ that overlooks Rio de Janeiro. That one is about the same height. Um, 92 feet is the, the height that's measured. It's 125, I think, if you count the, the foundation. And that's a huge statue that overlooks the city. So that's a good picture for you to put into your mind here. Um, the Bible says that it was in the plains of Dora. This, uh, geographically, is going to be most likely the exact same place where the Tower of Babel was erected. Curious, you might make some connections uh, between these two on your own. Now, some of you noticed that I skipped uh, some words there while we were reading. We're gonna do that. We're gonna cover the whole chapter today. It's curious how... Um, how often they will repeat the instruments, how often they will repeat the different officials that are there. So we'll skip over that as we're reading through. But there's going to be something that's repeated that I don't want you to miss. At least two things we're going to see. There's a reaction from Nebuchadnezzar that we're going to see in just a minute, and then he kind of has the exact same reaction later on. And then a line that Nebuchadnezzar is going to say that draws our attention to an assignment that I gave you at the beginning of our study. So we have the golden image, and the next thing that we see is that Nebuchadnezzar, he loses it. Nebuchadnezzar goes into a rage here. Look at verse number eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews Well, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a fiery furnace. You can kind of see how they put it on him. You are the one who's put these Jews into this place. Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But... If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And look at this last line of verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In verse 13, the response of Nebuchadnezzar is that he goes into a rage. The idea here is, who do you guys think you are? The directions were clear. Clearly, you can see all the folks around you. Do you think that you are more special than everyone else? And it's curious that this king of the world at this time gives them a second chance. That's where he goes with it. He basically says, okay, guys, and I think that when they disobeyed, maybe he says, bring them in front of me, kind of repeats it, Are they really going to say no when they're standing before me? And basically, Nebuchadnezzar says, we're going to to get the band back together here, guys, and we're going to do this again. But I want to point out in verse 15, and I want you to mark that, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's good for us to ask the question why? Why would these three Jewish men not bow down to the image? Why couldn't they maybe say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm bowing down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I don't really mean it. God, you know, this isn't really a God. And so, why? Why would they refuse to the point where their life would be in danger? And this is the example that we see for us today where we find what happens when external pressures meet internal character. Why could they not bow? Before they were taken into slavery, all the good Jewish boys were taught the law. And in Exodus, the law says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am A jealous God. Why did they make this decision? They chose this because there was a higher law above the law that they were given by the one that was their leader at that time. There's something greater than what he said. And it's possible that you might find yourself in the situation where civil disobedience is necessary. Maybe some of you have already faced that. If you're going to step out like these guys did and disobey the one that enforces the law that's over you, you need to not only have a confidence in your God when you do that, but even to the same degree, you need to have confidence that this is what God wants you to do. And so here's a little small definition. For some people, people when they hear I get to have civil disobedience, boy, they get excited about that. I can see some of you just sitting up in your seats. Oh, man, just tell me when and I'll go for it, right? No. There might be a time for it, but here's the rule. When an authority over you instructs you to disobey God, when a law or a command is telling you that you have to disobey your God, that's when we, I believe, have a green light from God for civil disobedience. That's what we find with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here we find that they trust and they obey. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if what be so? Go back to the end of verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? That's what he asks them. Now skip back down. If this be so, verse 17, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We saw in verse 13 where he went into a rage and here we find the word fury going on. He is going to lose it once again. Now, for those of you who are Bible students, you know the stories. Were these three guys, were they acting on some kind of precedent that they already had among the Jewish people or among God getting involved when it comes to a fiery furnace? Did they get together and talk and say, Remember 75 years ago when those guys were going to be thrown in and it didn't actually happen? So, my question for you is, did they have any precedent? for doing this. Shake your head yes or no. No. They said, if our God, who is the real God, wants to deliver us, He can. And if He does not, that's fine as well, but you need to understand that we are not going to serve that God, we're not going to bow down to that God, because that's what our God told us to do. And we need to understand at this point in the story that their confidence is not in, don't miss this, their confidence is not in the removal of the suffering. Their confidence is in the fact that they are being obedient to God. And just so there's no misunderstanding, they say, <laughs> I'm not sure what their tone was, but we really don't need a second chance on this. Well, you know, this this seems like you're being nice. Maybe you thought we were going to stand on the second verse or something. Oh, King, we really don't need a second chance. We will not bow down. And for you and I, we need to ask the question. You need to ask the question within your own heart. How big do the consequences have to be in order for you to move from the place of doing what you know is right to doing what is wrong? It's not really a sacrifice if there's no consequence, it's hardly a sacrifice if there's a small price to pay. Their lives were on the line. And they trusted God and they obeyed even when there was a consequence. And I love this in this section we just looked at. They don't presume upon God that now God has to do what they want Him to do just because they were obedient. You don't don't see that at all here. Well, now that we've stood up to this king, I'm sure that God is going to deliver us. God has to save us now. Nope. They don't make that presumption. And there are some people in our day today that they think that God has to do right according to their standard. And watch out for that. The devil is making you vulnerable in your faith if you're going to say, well, God will do this because I did this. I remember clearly having a battle of emotions years ago. Nobody's life was on the line, all right? So it's not that big of a deal. But I I had the same thought. We were, um, as a youth group, we were having a service at the nursing home here in town. And uh, there was a guy who was a senior in high school, Here's a senior in high school giving up his Saturday morning to come and to sing to folks that were at the nursing home. That's a good thing. As a youth pastor, I was thrilled for that. And we go and have our regular uh, service, and he's leaving there, and over here by Suncrest, the speed limit when you pull out of there, anybody know the speed limit when you pull out of there? It's 25 miles an hour. Well, this guy was 17. He He hadn't driven 25 miles an hour probably ever before that slow. He's leaving this rest home service and he sees the blue and red lights in his rear view mirror. And he gets pulled over. He got a ticket. Can you see when I th- found out about that? And then I'm talking to God, I'm like, really God? He was doing what was right on that, on that Saturday morning. Couldn't give him a warning. God, You see, God, that's how you're supposed to work. Some people will fall into that kind of thinking, even good godly people. They think they can presume upon God to do what they think is best. And that's a dangerous place for us to be because our ways are not God's ways. Sometimes they line up, but oftentimes God's got something so much better in mind. I learned this years ago from a friend of mine, a prayer warrior friend of mine. Her, her name's Pat. She's passed away now. And I can remember this struggle about what do we do with prayers when God says no? If I give God a prayer, obviously to me, this is God's will. This is the right thing. And then when God says no, what do I do with that? And my friend gave me the most wonderful advice in this area. She said this, sometimes I pray dumb prayers, is what she said. She added to that commentary, she said, I praise God that oftentimes He answers no when I prayed that prayer. God's ways are not our ways and one of the two is always better, it's always God." God's ways are always better than ours. And next we see the trial by fire. The trial by fire. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. There it is again, the repeat. Rage in 13, fury in 19. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Can we stop there? He's clearly not thinking straight. I mean, his his face looked different. Have you ever seen somebody, their face looked different? I mean, you knew they were mad by their face, right? I'm not mad at all. You know, and they looked like, you know, somebody stepped on their toe. His face changes, and then he heats it. This is just, I know he, he rules the world, but... If you want them to suffer more, you don't want it seven times hotter. Let's make it less hot, right? Let's make it a slow, agonizing death. He responds. And we're going to get to this in just a moment. I think very much so. He understood all those guys we listed earlier the satraps and treasurers and all those. They were all watching. Every one of them was seeing this interaction between these three guys and King Nebuchadnezzar. They're all watching. Make it seven times hotter. Let's go pick it up in verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and tunics and their hats and their other garments. Must have been in a hurry. And they went and were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, And the furnace overheated and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Rage and fury and they were not delivered from the fiery furnace. And then, Jesus shows up. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? Well, they answered, Oh, oh yes, king, true, O oh, king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. All right, let's stop there. For everyone that is watching, how good and how powerful does the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look so far? Does He look like He's the one that's in charge? Doesn't really look like it so far. These guys chose to disobey They chose to speak back to the king and say, we really don't need a second shot at it. And now they're thrown into the furnace. And I I, I cannot tell you with authority what happened, except for they walked around and were unharmed. So part of me thinks they must have been in some kind of a, a, a euphoria, just some kind of an incredible situation where they weren't able to speak like the the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament? Or maybe they talked. Do you think they spoke? Do you think Abednego shouted over to Shadrach, Shadrach, walking around in the fire, hey, penny for your thoughts. What are you thinking right now? Possibly Shadrach would say, you know, my mother taught me what the prophet Isaiah said you will walk through the fire and not be burned. I wish I would have known then what this meant today. And of course, most of us don't have that same, none of us have that same kind of application, of course. God was so real to them. God did not deliver them from the fire. God delivered them in the fire. And that's where you need to live. One of the biggest enemies of the gospel, the gospel going forward, is individuals that will take Jesus' name and Jesus' work and say, if you will accept this, then your life is going to be wonderful and great and no problems and no pain and your bank account full. And you and I, if we know Jesus Christ, we understand that we have not been delivered from the trials of life, but we are not alone when we go through those. We know what it is to have a great comforter. We know what it is when we read in the scriptures, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And too many are unwilling to allow themselves into a place where God has to show up. That fourth image, there's debate on who this was for sure. Some say this was an angel, an angel of God. Nebuchadnezzar says, like the Son of God, I don't think he had any clue what the Son of God would have looked like. And some believe that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ himself, or what we would call a Christophany. I can't say for sure, but I can say in their day, God showed up, and in our day, God will show up. You see, God, if He has saved you, He loves you too much to insulate you from the trials of this life. That's not what is best for you. He has got you here to prepare you for something. And let's go ahead and finish Now, I gave you an assignment when we started our study in Daniel. I said, you're going to be seen many times. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar took the articles out of the temple and put it in the temple of his false gods. And I said, you're going to see a comparison between the living God and false gods all the time. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's already brought it to their forefront. He has already said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands So we can grin while we start reading in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Almost like talking to a dog. Get over here, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors "'Gathered together, saw that the fire "'had not had any power over the bodies of those men. "'The hair of their heads was not singed, "'their cloaks were not harmed, "'and no smell of the fire had come upon them.'" Can we just stop for a second? Has anybody here ever sat around a campfire for any amount of time? And you gotta wash those clothes right afterwards, don't you? I was grilling some pork chops the other day, and I had to throw that shirt in the laundry. Why? Why? This is nothing but a miracle. They didn't even smell like smoke. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, underscore that, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. Look at this, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What can we do with a story like this? This is right where we live, everybody. We look for God not to take us away from the fire, but to be with us when we are in the fire. And if I could just remind us of that story we started with of nine students who were in on it, raising their hand, saying, that one's the longest, when it clearly was not. And the vast majority of individuals looked around them and would not go against the majority. They raised their hand, even though they knew it was the wrong answer. They raised their hand because they did not want to be seen as different And for you and for me, often the greater miracle is not not that God keeps us from the pain or keeps us from the tears. The greater miracle is that God clearly shows up right in the middle of it. And he whispers in your ear, you are not alone. Let's pray. Loving Father, as we call upon you this day, who who saw all of these things, not only in real time, but you knew what was going to happen in advance. I thank you for your presence with your people through difficult times. I thank you that you love us too much to keep us from the trials and the situations that would help us to come forth as more pure gold. And I pray that you would open our eyes. There are so many that are walking in this world trying as hard as they can to have as easy of a life as possible, even when it means compromising. They're going with the crowd. They're not going to do something that, that uh, they know they should do, or vice versa. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples. Thank you for using your children so many years ago and we praise you for using us today. While we have our heads bowed, I want to give you a chance to pray today while the piano plays through. I do not wish hard times upon anybody in this church family. I do not wish sickness. I do not wish struggles. But I do wish that you will learn exactly the lesson that God wants to teach you so that you could use it. Pray and talk to God. Maybe you're in the middle of a trial right now and the request to Him might not be, God, take this away, but instead, God, what are you trying to teach me? Some of you who are very brave would say, God, go ahead and bring on the trial. God, do exactly in my life what you need to do to help me be used in a great way for you. We never like to close a time without inviting people who've never prayed that first prayer of forgiveness. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could have forgiveness. Every individual in this world is born a sinner. We're separated from God. And the way that we have that closeness the way we have that fellowship is by accepting the work that Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins and even right now in this time of prayer you can pray God forgive me a sinner and make me your child Amen